0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry, or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. morning. How are we? It's off to a good start. See, they only let me do this about once a year. Um, So, by way of introduction, my name is Trey Williford. I'm one of the uh, lay elders here. At Citizens Church, <laughs> that already is just a weird term. If you're visiting, like you're Googling right now, what's a lay elder? Uh, so we're elder, we're an elder-run uh, church, elder-led, um, so to provide oversight and shepherd and to lead God's people here at this local church, we have elders. Some elders are actually on staff, meaning this is their job, their vocation, and then some elders, like me and a few others, uh, this is not our job or vocation, so hence the word lay, elder. So there you go. Um, but we're not here to talk about church polity. Um, so uh, just want to take a minute and just say uh, thank you. Um, on behalf of the elders, thank you to a beautiful, beautiful congregation who it is an absolute joy and privilege to serve. Um, this has been a, a beautiful uh, time together since we started back in 2014. And it's also been a very difficult time, especially this last year, and, and I, I know I speak for every one of the elders when I say, you are a joy to serve. And we are blessed by you. And uh, so we're grateful for that. Um, and also just want to take a minute, because I can, because I got the face mic, and just brag on our staff a little bit. Corey Butler preached last week, and it was amazing. And if, and if, you, if you've got a student in middle or high school, or if you got a student that's coming up through the ranks, you just had to leave that day going, Thank you, Jesus, for Him and His ministry that my kid gets to be fed by Him and His uh, gift. I'm not normally a crier, so I have no idea what this, white, this discharge is coming out of my eyes. <laughs> Usually I'm more of a cyborg, emotionless, but. Um, and we just got a great staff. It's, it's not just the ones that are seen, but it's the ones that are behind the scenes. And, and man, can we just say real quick, uh, a big, from our congregation to our staff, a big hearty thank you for, for loving and serving and giving. We are blessed. And they're all beautiful young people. Makes me sick. So they like, you know, they... I know they have these secret meetings like, hey, we can't let all the beautiful people up on stage. What are we gonna do? Well, let's give Trey a shot. All right, good, yeah. So here's the, the old bald guy with a good personality. Um, so that's me. Uh, but Jamin is out. He's our lead pastor of teaching. He's out uh, resting, which, you know, we let him do that from time to time, but he's a fantastic preacher. Um, so he'll be back next week. We'll start Advent, and then we'll get into uh, the new year. We'll have some of our normal, traditional January uh, topical um, relevant sermons, and then we'll get back into the book of Colossians in the new year um, and probably be there for lots of new years to come. I don't know at the pace we're going, but I jokingly told Jamin when he said, Hey, would you preach for me on the 23rd? I said, Yeah, here's my title Everything You Really Need to Know About Colossians in 35 Minutes or Less. That's <laughs> Would that kind of be a little bit of a jab just to throw that out there? So um, I want to start with a poem, ah, just because that's not weird. Um, so This is a poem that that I came across as I was studying this week. It's called The Anvil of God's Word. Um, I don't know if you know what an anvil is, but it's this this giant, steel, strong thing that back in the day, uh, blacksmiths used to use um, whenever they were hammering uh, and, and chiseling and making really cool things with their hands. The Anvil of God's Word. Last eve, I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptic blows have beat upon, Yet, though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. So if, if, yeah, you can clap. I didn't write it, but John Clifford did, I think. So you can clap for John uh, posthumously and in his honor. Um, Don't be afraid to clap here, man. I'll I'll take all the claps you, you got. So the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 48, the grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Today, one of the goals is to identify some of these hammers in our life and recognize they are withering grass, they are fading flowers compared to God's word. They, these hammers, can be bold, blatant, brash contradictions to the word of God that you are buying into as some modern fad that promises you fulfillment but leaves you empty. Or it could be even a more dangerous kind of hammer a subtle, seemingly good thing that are disordered loves and desires that are robbing you of true joy because you're putting your faith in creation rather than the creator. So today, if I were to sum up the main idea of what I feel like the Lord is impressing upon me to get across today, it's found in this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's a quote and it's a prayer and it's my prayer for me and for us today. Lord, sanctify us. Oh, that thy spirit might come and saturate every faculty, subdue every passion, and use every power of our nature for obedience to God. Let's pray. Father, in our short time together today, I pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is change hearts, illuminate hearts. I pray that you would just move among your people. And for those that are far from you today, I pray that you would draw them near. From those that don't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself. And for those that are struggling, I pray that you would just reveal yourself as their comforter and their prince of peace and their ever-present help in time of trouble. And God, for those who things are just seemingly really good right now, I pray that you will let them not forget that they are but They have nothing in heaven but from you, God. And so I pray all these things that you would reveal yourself to us in deep and meaningful ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our our scripture today comes from a part of the Bible called the Shema. Uh, The Shema is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services that is considered by some of the uh, the most essential prayers in Judaism. It's an affirmation of God's singularity. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And his kingship, its daily recitation, has for centuries been regarded by traditionally observant Jews as a biblical commandment. The first verse of the Shema, found in Deuteronomy 6-4, is among one of the greatest and most well-known in all of Jew- Jewish liturgy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So today... From a, from a posture of gratitude, from a place of gratefulness for the Lord our God, um, we're going we're gonna to talk through a few points in this text today. Uh, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. So from a posture of gratitude and being mindful that he loved us first, my prayer for us is that we would be a people that would love God with our whole being from the inside out, that we would love him with our whole heart, and that speaks to the intensity of our love, that we would love him with all of our desires, all of our will, all of our emotions, our attitudes, our perceptions, and our thoughts would be enraptured by love for God, and that we would love him with our soul, and soul speaks to a sincere love, not a flippant or fake or passing love. Love, but a true, deep, sincere love that we would learn to love God that way because He first loved us, and then might soul and might are really they're they're pretty similar. But might with all my energy, every faculty, like that quote by Spurgeon said, every possibility that with my soul and my might, how I talk, how I work, how I use my talents, how I react to difficulties, our entire being would display how we love God. It reminds me of Romans 12. It says, make your bodies a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So my my prayer for us as we read this is that we would learn to love God with every part of our being. You know, one of the greatest opportunities, really a gift in life, is to love it is. If you think about it, it's a gift of God to be able to even understand love, um, and learning how to love uh, is is just this journey of a lifetime, right? Uh, there's this seeming biblical, non-ending, non-beginning cycle of godly love that we see in the Bible, and it's kind of like uh, it's it's when I when I do a wedding, um, I, I do weddings from time to time now nowadays just for cousins uh, and family members it seems like, but uh, back in the day I used to do a lot of weddings and. I always would hold up the wedding ring and say, you know, this, this ring is symbolic about what the vows you guys are taking today. It's not ending, right? this vows don't have an end. Your love for each other is an unending vow towards each other. And that's kind of how I see the biblical commandments of love. First, if we love God, it says in John 14, we keep his commandments. Well, one of his great commandments is that right here in this verse, that we would love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole mind. And then Jesus connected the Shema verse with the verse in Leviticus. This says, also love your neighbor as yourself. So the command to love God and then to love others is this non-ending cycle. And then um, Jesus says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have what? Love for one another, right? So there's the, the theme of love is strong throughout the Bible. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 13 that without it, nothing really matters, right? No matter what you do in this lifetime, without love, nothing really matters. So my prayer is that we would would stand firm on the anvil of God's word and that we would make loving God one of our core convictions that we never stray from and we never graduate from and we never leave that place because it is timeless and it will be around forever. It says, faith, hope, and love abound forever. Now, the greatest of these is love. There's a great quote by Dallas Willard. It says, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of this community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of this community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Oh, that we would be a people, a church, that embody that kind of loving community. So we look at verses 6 uh, through 9. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There are a bunch of sermons in that small text right there that would take us years to unpack all of its goodness. But I'm just going to kind of talk about this from a position, a posture of gratitude leading us to be mindful of our dependence on Jesus. And the word that comes to mind is saturate. Saturate our life living in his truth. When we wake up, when we go about our day, when we go to bed at night, and all throughout the day, may we be moment by moment mindful of his truth in our life. Um, Jesus in, in John chapter 14 through 17, if, if a lot of theologians will kind of call that the last will and testament of Jesus' life, right? Um, it's when Jesus is, he's, he's about to go and he says some of the most impactful things to his disciples, and we get the benefit of reading it now 2,000 plus years later today. Moses, most of Deuteronomy is that for Moses. So Moses is really, you know, the story. He's, He's about to die. He's not going to see the promised land, right? So God takes him up and he shows it to him and says, because of the sin in your life, you're not going to see it. So he's just unpacking truth straight from God, right to his people. So when we look at Moses and we look at a type of Moses, Jesus, uh, or or, or Moses is a type of Jesus, kind of both and, uh, I look at John 15. Verse 4, and I think about this scripture. When I read this, verses 6 through 9 in Deuteronomy, "'Abide in me,' Jesus says, "'and I in you, "'as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself "'unless it abides in the vine, "'neither can you. "'Unless you abide in me, "'I am the vine, you are the branches. "'Whoever abides in me and I in him, "'he it is that bears much fruit, "'for apart from me you can do nothing.'" Jesus guarantees that if we don't abide in him, we can do nothing. And then he also guarantees that if we do abide in him, that we can bear much fruit. So this, uh, sorry, this is cheesy. I know, I get it. But, um, so we were doing Christmas lights yesterday uh, because that's a great way to prepare your heart for sermons. Um, <laughs> me and my soulmate just out there. Just cheerfully doing Christmas lights. (laughs) Just, just, you can imagine, right? The scene, sipping on hot cocoa, and just perfect, right? Just beautiful. Um, I finally said, "I'm done. I'm done. I got to preach tomorrow." And right now, I I just question my salvation. So I gotta (laughs) go inside, and I gotta. um, But but while no, we really didn't fight with each other. Uh, We're past that. Um, It's just. It's really her and I fighting against this thing called electricity, right? I mean, I'm like Clark Griswold at at his best out there, plugging things in and then it goes on for a few minutes just to tease you, then it just trips the breaker, the plug's hot, so if you're a fireman in here or a fire chief, don't come to my house, uh, please. Or maybe you should, maybe you're gonna keep us safe, I don't know. So I just told my wife, I think this is God's sign, God's way of saying just don't do that. It's all superficial, right? No, don't do it. So just pack it up. So I, but while I was doing Christmas lights, I ran across this branch and I was like, ooh, that is perfect. It's just, it's a perfect example of what it looks like when a branch doesn't abide in the vine, right? So I was like, man, I got to show that because here's the truth. Um, there's no agricultural genius in the world that's going to make this thing bear fruit On this stage today right and if it did at best it would be fake it would be pretentious it would be pretend you might could tape an apple to it right maybe one of those fuzzy apples that your great grandma had in that bowl on her coffee table it's just me no weird fuzzy fuzzy grapes and yeah so that at best that's the fruit that this branch is gonna bear You know what, honestly, guys, so much of the time, this this looks like me. If I'm not abiding in Christ, man, I got fake fruit. At best, I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. At best I'm 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 pretending that I'm bearing fruit, but it's not real. And I'm just doing that church thing where I just kind of can go through the motions and pretend. So I pray that we would see this scripture about when you lie down and when you rise and binding them on your hand and placing them on the frontlets of your eyes and writing on the doorpost of your house and on the gates, that we would take our cue from that and our command from that and abide in Christ. Some ways, and this is not a how-to sermon, but just some practical ways that we can foster a lifestyle of abiding is to get back into the, the, the spiritual disciplines in our life, right? That we would not that we would not be too busy to prioritize disciplines. And I'm just going to list a few disciplines, and then I want to encourage you to pursue this on your own this week in the hecticness of Thanksgiving travel and future Christmas travel and the season that we're in, pursue the things that stir your affections for Jesus and feed them, feed them well, and reject and run from the things in your life that that stir your affections for anything but Jesus and to put them in the proper place and avoid them and starve them and let them wither up and die so that only the things that stir your affections for Jesus would remain. There's three spiritual disciplines of abstinence that are really key in my life. Solitude, just getting away, out somewhere, and just spending a few hours, even if it's just a few hours, where I'm just by myself, and I don't have an agenda but just to sit and have a little day alone with God. Fasting, fasting from things, fasting from food, uh, and silence. Just... Just sitting in silence in my life. Those things tend to draw me into deeper affections for Jesus, and there's more. Study spiritual disciplines, and, and I encourage you to, to engage with them. And then there's spiritual disciplines of engagement. Confession, going to a brother or sister in Christ and confessing your sins, or confessing your temptations, or confessing your shortcomings. The engagement of study. Just digging in to God's word. I got to do that this week, and I felt compelled. Why am I not doing this more? I got to spend many, many hours this week just studying God's word. And I was like, oh, God, don't let me just do this on the the times that I preach, but let this be more of a discipline in my life. And then prayer, just a few disciplines of engagement. So my hope and my prayer for us is that we would pursue the spiritual disciplines, and then the result of that is that we would abide in the branch, abide in Christ, and that we would bear much fruit because apart from him, we can do nothing. Verse 10 in Deuteronomy 6, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When, when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget. If you've got a pen or a highlighter or something in a real Bible, not that there's anything wrong with the electronic Bible, write, underline those words. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So from a posture of gratitude and mindful of his grace and mercy, there are things in our lives that we just flat out don't deserve, but we get anyway, right? That's what he's saying to these people right here, the, the, the people of Israel, you're about to go inherit a land and that land is not something, that you did nothing to earn it other than to pursue it and be obedient to me. And when you get there, It is a stark warning not to let some measure of success or some measure of comfort lessen your dependence on God. Never forget our past without Him, that we were slaves to sin, sworn enemies of God to the children of Israel. Never forget that you once were in that, that you were slaves in Egypt but I've brought you out and I've given you this great land to possess. Never forget, because when you get there and you look around and you got all these things that you don't deserve, that you didn't do anything for, don't think that this is you. Don't think that you did this. Take care lest you forget the Lord. So for us, in times of comfort and success, that's where we've gotta be most on guard about remembering Remember, God, you did this. God, you gave me this. God, you blessed me with this. So my charge, our charge today is that we would remember that God is at work and that without him, man, we don't have a chance. So as a people, it's natural for us to memorialize, right? There are dates in my life that are very meaningful to me. I'll give you a few. June 6th, 1998. June 5th, 1999. June 29th, 2003. May 14th, 2006. If you're taking notes on this, you're being way too diligent, right? Just, that's not, it's just, no. I'm going fast. March 29th, 2010. So these are dates that are significant to me. You've got some too, don't you? Where you celebrate. Now one of them, I don't really celebrate yearly, but I was just thinking about it, how cool it was just to remember it. June 6, 1998, that's the day, that's the night that my wife, now wife, then uh, hopeful wife, um, the one I pursued, uh, she and I kissed for the first time. And I know for her, it was fireworks and it was all good (laughs) things. it was the night where we decided that we're moving from the friend zone to the, I think we're going to pursue this, this relationship really serious zone. Um, so that's June 6, 1998, and then June 5th, 1999, not quite a year later, yes, I work fast, we got married on June 5th, 1999, and those dates are significant. Now, there is a date that I'm not going to mention that precedes June 6, 1998, the night that I kissed her, it precedes it by many, 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 many weeks that was the night that I first tried to kiss her. <laughs> and I got the, hey, all right, okay. I see where we are. I got it. Okay, I, point taken. Um, we won't talk about that. And then June 29th, 03, May 14th, 06, March 29th, 2010, those are the birth dates of my children. Days that if I just pause, if I just stop and think back, I'm like, man, that was a good day. That was an awesome day. And I can stop and just think, where I was in that moment. My favorite is when my daughter was born, not because she's my favorite, but she is, but she's, I'm not gonna say that. Uh, She's my favorite daughter, how's that? Because I got two sons and a daughter. On March 29, 2010, I had um, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. and They came to the hospital. This is great. I, I'm, I'm just letting you out. This isn't even in my notes, so you're welcome for this. But uh, they came to the hospital to meet their baby sister for the first time. So my mom and dad are bringing them up, and they had these shirts that my wife was super proud of because you know just the wives love to do these kinds of things. It said um, my my baby sister's bodyguard is what the shirt said, and they were white with black lettering and you know, mom and dad are coming up to see and bring the, ba- the boys up to meet their sister. And when my three-year-old walks in, um, he had a bloody nose and blood was all over his shirt. And it said, I'm my sister's bodyguard. I was like, that's awesome. That is so perfect. Yes. Come to find out that on the way to the hospital, they got in a fight in the back seat and... Uh, Three-year-old, six-year-old, tough, tough kind of scenario. So he comes in with a bloody nose, and I just. But you think back on these days with special fondness, don't we? So we are called. We are a people that just love to to commemorate things. So there's dates that are important to us. July 4th as a nation is an important date for us. December 25th it's an important date for believers. February 14th that crazy holiday that was made up by the chocolate industry and the greeting card industry. Whenever I don't know, but they made it up. And February 14th is a special day, I guess. I don't. You got to do something there. Holy week, right? Easter, it's a special week. It's a special call to memorialize, right? Every Sunday we gather. We gather to remember. We take communion to remember. So we are a people that need to foster this idea of remembering. Because why? We forget. If we don't, we forget. So. The charge to us through this text is to avoid and fight off spiritual amnesia, to think and reflect on the good things of God, give thanks, that's a way to remember, tell somebody, back in my old school days, that would be called testify, somebody better testify, tell somebody about the good things God's done, write it down, journal the spiritual milestones in your life, and then the ordinances, taking communion and, and, and watching people being baptized. These are ways that we can fight off spiritual amnesia. For non-believers today, I pray that you would hear the gospel and that the spirit will open your eyes and awaken your heart to an abundant life that is available to you and that you could maybe on this day say, this is the day that I can remember my spiritual eyes were opened And I was brought out of the slavery of sin into an abundant life with Jesus. Believers, while we're going through our journey, remember, if you're in a good season or if you're in a really difficult season, remember the sustaining love of a faithful God. So that's a charge to remember. And our last segment of Scripture is verses 13 through 15. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. What a great way to end. <laughs> You're welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. See you. I I was going to read a few more verses just because I thought it would be kinder, but then I thought, nope, that's a great place to end, and I'll tell you why. Um, From a posture of gratitude, the charge today is that we would be mindful of his preeminence and his worth, and that we would worship him alone. That we would pursue a life of loving God that would crush the idols in our life, destroy the soul-crushing idols in our life, that God would just do something even today in this season to destroy idol worship among his beloved. So for the Old Testament, verse 15, is a, it's a legit warning, right? Because there, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes God would swallow, he would open the earth and swallow people up. And there was wrath and destruction for the new covenant people. I look at this passage and I I I think about Matthew seven verses twenty one through twenty-three and I tremble. Jesus says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in the pursuit Of a genuine, loving, authentic relationship with Jesus, may we put idols in their proper place and only worship the one true I am living God. Idolatry is disordered desires. See, the subtle thing about some idols are they're not bad and blatant and oppressively, glaringly, just dangerous. Right? Some are. But then the ones that seem to be the, the hardest to fight are idols that are rooted in good things. Work. It's good to work. It's good to have a strong work ethic, right? But if, this, if my desire to work becomes disordered, then all of a sudden I'm chasing the creation and not the creator. Food. It's a good thing to desire good food and good drink, right? But disordered desires around food, and I can go one way or the other, right? I can, I can make it an idol and be gluttonous, or I can make it an idol and harm myself. You with me? So sex is the same way. So go on and on and on. Some of these things are rooted in good, right? God ordained for good. But then when these orders, these, these, these desires become disordered, then idol worship can creep in. So what I thought I'd do as I, as I wrap up is just to try to draw it home and connect it to where we are today as Citizens Church. Um, and talk about what this passage looks like in light of being citizens. So when I was a youth pastor, I was, in my youth group was a, a, a couple of kids that were amazing. <laughs> they're not kids anymore. Um, they're Adults, so Corey, I relate to that very well, uh, what you preached on last week. But um, their father was a, uh, he was an ambassador. He was, a, 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 he was in, the, in the Mexican government. He was a, a, a high-ranking uh, official in Vicente Fox's administration from like 2000 to I think 2006 maybe. Does that sound right? I don't know. So when I was with them one time down in Mexico on a trip, I got to go to Los Pinos, Los Pinos, Spanish people, Spanish-speaking people, Los Pinos. Am I saying it right? It's, it means the Pines. It's the Mexican White House. And this isn't one of those weird tours where you got headphones on and, and the guy's like, look to your left, and you get to see. The, you know, it's not one of those tours. I, it was just me, the group of people I was with, and this ambassador uh, who, who was a dear friend of mine taking us in this intimate tour of the Mexican White House. It was awesome. But you know what? It wasn't as awesome as it would have been had that been my White House, the one in Washington, D.C., right? Why? Because I wasn't a citizen of Mexico. And I couldn't read any of the stuff around the paintings anyway. I was like, oh, it looks good, I guess. Or whatever that means. Got a guy killing another guy, and then there's a bunch of words I don't see. So, but but if I, I remember even very distinctly thinking, I mean, this would be so amazing if I had this intimate tour in the White House in D.C., why? Because my citizenship wasn't in Mexico. It's not that it wasn't a good place. It's not that it wasn't an amazing opportunity, an amazing experience. But because I wasn't a citizen of Mexico, the experience was kind of lost on me. So I thought about that experience and as I was preparing for this sermon to impart to us a charge that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also, So this context that I'm trying to land the plane with is wrapped up in our name, Citizens Church. What if we really, truly lived, loved, abided, remembered, and worshipped like citizens of heaven and sojourners passing through of this temporary place called earth? Our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, our priorities— All our life, our calendars, our checkbooks, all the millennials are Googling checkbooks right now. What is this checkbook he speaks? Your bank account, our daily habits, they would all look so different. If we approached this thing called Christianity, church, discipleship, like true citizens of heaven, how we love, how we abide, how we remember and how we worship would change our homes, change our lives. It would reorder things for the good of God's people and the glory of his name. My prayer is that God would do heart surgery on you today, reorienting your affections, transforming your longings, cleansing your thoughts so that you can love, abide, remember and worship like you're a citizen of heaven and a child of the king. My prayer is this, Lord, sanctify us, oh, that thy spirit might come and saturate every faculty, subdue every passion, and use every power of our nature for obedience to God. Let's pray, Lord, may that quote be true of our lives. Father, for the person here that is far from you, draw them near. For the person here that is experiencing difficulty, give them peace. Not just for deliverance sake, but just for the sake that they would know, they would trust deeper, they would have greater faith in the season. And God, for those who are here and things are going great, Lord, I pray that they would remember. It's not them, it's you. So Lord, meet people where they are as we worship, as we Take communion as we remember the good things you've given us in Jesus' name, amen.